Welcome to the Judge John Hodgman Podcast. I'm bailiff Jesse Thorne. This week we're in chambers, clearing the docket. How are you, Judge Hodgman? I'm great. It is a brand new year in the future relative to when we are recording this. When you are hearing this, Judge John Hodgman listeners, it will be the first week of a new year. I'm not going to say which year because I want these to be evergreen. I don't want them to seem dated. I don't want this to sound like a real 2016 podcast. You know what I mean? No, but it is now a new year, but we are recording this in the in the old year, at the very end of the old year, uh, as as the, the holidays, which are now in your memory, are just bearing down upon us, and I am in the thick of it. I am here in my chambers, sitting in my traditional waist-deep vat of eggnog, and just uh, getting ready to dispense some, some justice at the year and some unfinished justice. Are you getting in the, are you getting in the, in the nog tank? Do you mind if I get in the nog? I, I didn't bring any swim trunks. Oh, no, no. That's, you know, we, we, we nog it European style here, if you know what I mean. Oh, thank goodness. So this is a uh, nog sauna? It's, it's a nude nog sa- sauna. <laughs> it's very, it's very hot and it has a lot of allspice. So if you have any sensitivities, you should sign this waiver. Let's pour a little nog on these hot stones. <laughs> I'm sure Mark McUmville could have added some eggnog on hot stones sound effects, but uh, in the spirit of the holidays, I'm just going to beatbox it. Ah. All right, now we should get into the other thing, which is the docket, right? Here's something from Carrie. Each trip through a fast food drive through with my husband, Kurt, is unpleasant and awkward for both of us. He usually drives, and he's tasked with ordering the food. He becomes irritated when he must tell the restaurant employee my order. Instead, he makes me say my order into the microphone, which causes me and the employee undue stress. I end up having to lean over near the steering wheel and shout my order awkwardly to a person who's probably caught off guard by hearing a second voice. Kurt insists upon efficiency in every aspect of his life. He honestly believes this way to be more efficient because we skip the step in which I tell him my order and then he tells someone else. Judge, please issue a ruling. Whoever is the driver must do the ordering for the entire car at a drive-thru. Well, first of all, I'm going to correct you right away, Carrie. Uh, I, I think hearing a second voice over... The drive-through radio is probably the least alarming thing that someone manning a drive-through window has had to deal with. That probably it, you, you could you could drive through in the nude with your car on fire, and the the person who who is behind that window uh, has has probably seen that five times and will not care. So it's not. I appreciate your concern, as we all should have concern for the people who are uh, doing the work for us in life that we choose not to do, such as deep frying the food uh, and shoving it through our, our, the holes in our car to put into the holes in our mouth. So that's nice, but I don't, I'm not concerned that you're freaking out this, this uh, young man or woman. I am a little surprised by your husband, Kurt's insistence that you do the ordering yourself. Um, Jesse, uh, do you have an opinion before I give uh, my verdict on this? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, that uh, while I understand 
her husband Kurt's need for efficiency, uh, there are other ways to have an efficient order. I mean, I, I don't think typically that there is not a moment before you pull up to the drive-thru uh, for her to share her order with him uh, so that uh, he can speak the order into the drive-thru microphone. Uh, like, I, I, it, it, there's there's got to be a moment when uh, you're somewhere between your house and the microphone uh, that she could be like, yeah, I want a double cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I would hope I would hope that your life is balanced enough that there is some time that that elapses between waking up in the morning and being at the drive-through fast food place that you might be able to put put your idea of an order in mind and convey it to your husband. I I'm, I, I absolutely agree with you. The thing that puzzles me the most is this seems profoundly inefficient compared to simply Kurt hearing what you have to order and then ordering everything all in a in a row himself once he pulls up to the microphone you're leaning over in the car that's always uh that's always bad when that happens and you're probably dragging out the whole experience uh and i guess taking the risk of confusing at the very least the person who's serving you and and while it probably doesn't bother them to be confused it might slow things down the real thing that that, that puzzles me though is uh uh Kurt, the the privilege of driving is getting to do these things. You know, uh, uh, you when you drive, you get to pick the music, right? We've established if you're driving, you get to pick the music. And when you pull into a drive-thru, you get to order for everybody, no matter what they want. That's the, it's the, it, for, for some of us in the world, it's the only time we have any semblance of control over our families. Uh, the rest of the time we surrender, but when we are in the driver's seat, uh, we are in the literal driver's seat. But it seems to me that by asking her to do this, he's giving up the great privilege of being the driver. So I, I don't know what's going on. I mean, the, the, that he is making you do this seems weird. Uh, and that you guys go to drive through fast food enough that it becomes an issue is another thing that I would caution you about. Um, maybe the solution should be uh, to uh, write down uh, a few sample meals in advance on index cards that you keep in the car. Uh, you, <laughs> you, can, you can have a different index card for each possible fast food restaurant you might go through. I would even advise making one for a Long John Silver. There's still some Arthur Treachers around, too. Cover every base. Have them in the glove compartment. This way, you can uh, force Kurt to order efficiently without straining your voice or back and it will also afford you the opportunity to write down the food that you are thinking about eating and realizing, oh, this is terrible. I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> these index cards will be a reminder to you that, uh, the, the, that you might want to invest some time uh, in eating well-prepared food outside of your car if you have that opportunity. Here's something from Grace. I'm writing in to ask you to settle a dispute between my fiancé and myself about the most appropriate way in which to receive gifts. My fiancé believes that you should accept every gift regardless of how you feel about it. I'm of the opinion that there are certain situations in which it would be appropriate to tell the gifter how you really feel. Here's the instance that defined our stances. It was three Christmases ago at a time when both of us were in school and working minimum wage jobs. We regularly would take the subway in Philadelphia. There was a man on the subway who, in addition to candy, bootleg DVDs, incense, and body oil, used to sell baby turtles. 
I always talked about wanting one, but I didn't have the expendable income with which to purchase one. That Christmas, Dave bought me a large turtle tank. It was a very thoughtful gift. However, he did not purchase the turtles themselves, and when asked, he admitted he wouldn't help me clean the tank. I told him I was very grateful and that I appreciated the gesture, but I didn't really want the added responsibility of caring for turtles. We returned the tank to the pet store and bought some food, litter, and a little perch for our cat, Suki. Dave has since told me that I was cold-blooded for telling him I didn't like the gift. I think it would have been cold if I kept it and didn't get any turtles for financial or stress-related reasons. If you receive an expensive gift that you won't use from a family member or friend, is it appropriate to tell them you won't use it so it can be returned? Basically, if your spouse gives you an empty turtle tank, that's okay to deny. That's okay to say, no, thank you. And really, it's only, I think, when a spouse uh, of some of some time, a partner or a spouse, a romantic person in your life where you have pledged to be open and honest with one another and maybe sharing finances, I think that's a, certainly a situation where you can be as cold as a, as a cold-blooded turtle in the Philadelphia subway. But for the most part, other than that, and even then, you know, proceed with caution um, because a gift is uh, is a gesture that you uh, even if you hate the thing, uh, the, the gesture is something you have to receive graciously. And certainly if it's something that is given to you by your parent or if you are a parent and given to you by one of your children, uh, it doesn't matter how ugly or malformed that uh, th- that arts and crafts coaster is. You have to be like, yeah, I love this because you do. You love the fact that your weird dad made you a terribly ugly arts and crafts coaster. And maybe your kids made something for you, too, like a drawing. Obviously, I, n- none of you are monsters enough to, to reject a gift that is given to you by your own child. Maybe one of you. Maybe one of you is. I, I wouldn't be surprised. Maybe one of you. It's like, no, I'm sorry. I mean, I've thought about it. I'm sorry, little Judge John Hodgman Jr., uh, but that, but that drawing of us holding hands together, I just don't see a place for it in my life. <laughs> the object, and this is something that I learned from uh, Marie Kondo, the unofficial ghost guest bailiff of every episode we ever do, which is that the gift is the gesture and the object is just an object and objects, uh, unless you are 12, and you're getting toys. Objects are burdens almost all the time. Jesse, do you need stuff in your life? Do you need more stuff? No, I don't. Although I do desire more stuff. Yeah, well, there's, that's, but, that's I mean, I, good, I, I too. I can go to the flea market myself, Judge Hodgman. Right, exactly. I mean, most grown-ups don't need a lot more stuff. And if they do need, then a gesture that fills a need is fantastic. And that might be a a true material need, like, I don't have enough food. Uh, And that's why charitable giving at the year's end, or in this case, the year's beginning, is always good. Or it might be um, a a different kind of need, a more personal, deep need um, that you are unable to fulfill yourself. Give something to someone that they would never get for themselves, but they want. That's a lovely gift. But for the most part, it's just a gesture. And Marie Kondo says, once you acknowledge the gesture, both to the person and because Marie Kondo is, is 
kind of crazy. She also suggests that you acknowledge it to the gift itself and you talk to the inanimate object, say, I appreciate, I appreciate what you represent and have brought into my life. And then when you are ready, when it no longer sparks joy for you, you throw it away or, or give it away. I have a vague memory that when I traveled in Japan as a 13-year-old with my eighth grade class, uh, there was something about bringing a lot of turkey jerky to give away. So that's my knowledge of Japanese gifting culture. Always have turkey jerky on hand. Jesse, you and I are not married. Um, Sadly. Nor nor are we in a long-term committed romantic relationship but I do think that as very good friends we have pledged honesty to one another and if you ever gave me some turkey jerky I would throw that stuff in your fat face (laughs) I'd be so mad well I mean I did just a little hint for the holidays a year ago don't stuff my stocking with turkey jerky a year ago at Christmas, Judge Hodgman, I gave you perhaps the single most useless object any friend has ever gifted another friend, which was an enamel pin of a Hartford yes. Whalers Zamboni machine. That made me so happy. That made me so happy. And it made you happy, too, because you clearly had tuned into an obsession of mine. And because of the Internet, you can find something for everyone's obsession. And so that gesture was not merely, I'm thinking of you here at the end of the year, but it was also, I have been thinking about you all year long because I know you love the Hartford Whalers. Yeah. And also, you know what else? It was small. Yeah. It's a tiny thing. I, 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 I love, you know, it is such an important thing that when I go on tour that people will occasionally give me pieces of art that they've created uh, uh, a hand crocheted uh, hot dog that says I'm not a sandwich on it um, uh, Jade Gordon out in Seattle makes beautiful pictures uh, of, of me and gives them to me and I and I love them and do you know what I keep them I really do I keep them all because how could you dispose of something like that but it, it does it does mean that my chambers right now that I'm sitting in is basically outside of this nog tank it is basically a, a hoarder's nest of, of gavels and illustrations of me and it makes me very happy by the way i i am exaggerating for comic effect i have two gavels that have been given to me only two uh one by a friend of the show and uh metafilter's own matt howie who gave me a giant gavel at the very first Max Fun Con, or maybe the second? And uh, it, he, he gave it to me. Uh, it's, it's about it's about the size of a of a of a of a, a small dog. <laughs> it is monstrous. <laughs> it's a very big gavel, beautifully beautifully made, and and uh, uh, and uh, has a little plaque on it that says my name. Uh, and uh, he gave me a, a huge case. And the opportunity to check my luggage on the way home, which was a, a a lovely, lovely gesture. And I have it here in my office. And I just received my second gavel, the only other gavel that I've ever gotten. And it was from Isaac McNary, who is a carpenter from El Dorado, Kansas. And y- you may or may not recall our friend over uh, at Stuff You Should Know podcast, uh, one half of the great duo of the Stuff You Should Knows, Chuck Bryant. 
was a litigant on this show because uh, his wife was angry at him for having done home carpentry and not knowing what he was doing. And Isaac McNary heard that show and contacted Chuck and said, I am going to come and fix the doorway into your dining room if you will let me live in your house while I do it. And Chuck said, sure. And guess what? Chuck didn't get murdered by the strange carpenter from El Dorado who lived in his house. Instead, Isaac came and lived there for a few days and finished the door widening project that Chuck started but couldn't finish himself. Uh, we'll post a picture of me when I visited Chuck in Atlanta in the last tour. Uh, you can see the, the handiwork of this, of this gentleman, Isaac McNary. And then he also gave to Chuck a gavel that he had made for me. And guess what? This gavel was regular size in a beautiful case that he made himself. And these are, these are beautiful, beautiful gestures and, and beautiful objects as well. And insofar as you are going to give a gift... Um, bear in mind that the gesture is more important than the thing itself. Um, and then really think about what will give the other person pleasure. And uh, honestly, if, if you're not sure, I think just an, a note saying how much that person means to you, uh, unless they're a 10-year-old and wants a toy, that, that's, that's as good a gift as I would ever hope to receive. Here's something from John. My wife, Becca, and I are the parents of twin 10-year-old boys and a 12-year-old daughter. We take a ski vacation every January on a non-school vacation week. These trips are fantastic fun. Condo, food, fresh air, superheated outdoor pools, drinks with friends. They're among the best times we've had as a family. In the past, we've saved money and avoided crowds by going off-peak. We usually go Monday through Thursday and are back at school on Friday. Becca feels skipping school for a ski trip is scandalous. We've struck a compromise. Our daughter will stay home, since middle school covers too much material in four days for her to miss. Becca has now tried to further erode this year's trip, since one of the twin boys has ear surgery scheduled for the week after the ski trip. If he goes on the trip, he'll miss a total of eight days for both surgery and ski trip. I say... Let the ski trip proceed since it's all paid for and Andrew will have the time of his life before having to go into surgery. Becca says, cancel. Judge Hodgman, what's your verdict? I almost need to recuse myself due to an intense bias against skiing that goes back to my elementary school days in Brookline, Massachusetts. As you know, I am not a skier because skiing is arguably a sport and I am not a sports person. And for many of my early sedentary years, my only experience with skiing um, was going on one cross-country ski trip with my class in Massachusetts, and uh, I fell down, and getting up, I broke the ski pole, and I said, that's it for me. Um, I accept that it is a beautiful, beautiful sport and a very enjoyable thing to do and a great way to be out in nature, but there was a big class divide in Brookline between those who... Uh, would leave during school vacations and go skiing and those who would stay home and roll multi-sided die and watch Doctor Who. I was obviously in the latter group. The kids who went skiing tended to be, I mean, this was at the height of, of preppydom and they tended to be, have a little bit more money. They were a little bit more, you know, the uh, skiing involves buying a lot of expensive gear and they had the most expensive gear and they would go away and come back with weird raccoon suntans from the snow glare or whatever, where the, where the sunlight hit their 
part of their faces that weren't covered by the fancy goggles and they would always wear their ski lift tickets still on their expensive parkas like these little merit badges of jerkism and i just <laughs> i just i'm really like I'm, so, I'm i'm sure i'm sure there may be people out there who who i went to elementary school with and who went skiing and are and and are now feeling very hurt by the fact that i have uh sophomorically nurtured this grudge but i just i just have an association of skiing with something the 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 rich kids uh who made me uncomfortable uh did uh and so i i'm i'm gonna i'm just gonna take myself out of this for a moment jesse and, and ask you uh what you think I have such deep ski trip class resentments that are based on the uh, rich kid middle school that I went to uh, in Hillsboro, California, uh, some 20 minutes south of my home in inner city San Francisco. And uh, I got to go on a couple of ski trips thanks to the uh, generosity of a teacher who was nice enough to overcharge the other children uh, so that I could be offered a free spot on the ski trip. But I think by the time I was about 15, I I figured out what had been going on when I was in middle school and came to resent skiing so much, so deeply and profoundly, uh, that I'm unable to render a uh, a reasonable judgment on this matter. And in fact, I would also say that I would have to recuse myself just on the basis of this uh, being something that involves skipping school, and uh, as mm-hmm. a, as a person who um, uh, who, who both uh, had to skip school frequently because of uh, uh, because of disability, and mm-hmm. as someone uh, who uh, basically never stopped hating school, um, I just I, I, like literally even within my family. I have to like recuse myself on school matter matters and defer to my wife who liked school and was good at it uh-huh. um, because uh, I just go blind with rage just at the thought of just the word homework makes my eyes cross and uh, kind of like a gray scrim to be pulled down across my field of vision. Let me understand, Jesse, what what button is the skipping school issue in this case pushing for you? You've. You you want these kids to skip school because you hate school so much, or you yes, don't think they I, should skip school? It is both. It, it what, that's what that's what makes it so difficult. I, I both want these kids to skip school because right. I hate school and I think it's dumb. Uh, <laughs> and sorry, children who are listening to this, but it's it's God's own truth. Um, and so I think like ah, they're not going to lose anything. But then I also have these deep traumas related to missing big chunks of school. Uh, especially before um, the current class of migraine medications that I take came out uh, yeah. and having to like make up schoolwork um, for time that I was out of school. Uh, I-, I just remember being so upset. Like, can't I just skip that? Like, do I have to do double homework whenever I'm healthy? Um, right. Uh, well, and- yeah. And so, uh, uh, yeah, so I'm both directions, both direct, both paths lead to uh, deep trauma and not rationality. Well, congratulations, John, for crafting a case that would put that would cause 
uh, a neurotic breakdown in both me and Jesse. We are now, <laughs> we are now we are now curled up in fetal positions here in the eggnog tank, and uh, it's, I'm barely I'm barely clearing my nostrils to be able to breathe and talk to you now. And uh, you really brought up a lot of a lot of stuff from the bottom of the eggnog tank, as it were, and it's, it's come to the surface. And you can hear and worry that you, you might not get a fair shake here in the court of Judge John Hodgman. But I am able to be impartial, and I will give you my ruling. But then I'm going to I'm going to say some things uh, that you have to listen to. You should go on this ski trip for two reasons. One, you like skiing. And I can't stop you from that. And I bet you if I went skiing with you, I would like it too. But two, and most importantly, it's paid for already. You are already engaging in an activity that is not open to a lot of people uh, for financial reasons, because skiing involves expensive equipment, uh, travel, and obviously the cost of lift tickets and everything else. It is not a cheap thing to be doing. I would hate to feel that that money, which, uh, which you have already thrown at the prospect of going down a hill fast, would be wasted and you don't even get to go down the hill fast. And yet, I will say this and add this to my order. Go, but stop doing what you're doing. I'm not saying stop skiing, but going off season to save money, which is very frugal and thrifty of you. And I'm not making any judgments about where you are in your financial life. Obviously, it's important to you to be frugal, but it's more important for your children to go to school. Now, in years past, you are absolutely right to take your children out of school first grade kindergarten through about third grade that's that's playtime anyway they might as well be skiing in school at that point and it's also their kids and they don't understand but now you sense you know already that it's different now your daughter's in middle school she's actually got real school work to do and if you were in new york city your 10 year olds couldn't be skipping fifth grade now to because they would get into a, a middle school even a public middle school that they wanted to go to because attendance is one of the only measurements of of your uh uh, uh the only one of the only measurements that public middle schools use to determine who gets to go there and who doesn't uh, but set aside the absolute insanity of the middle school application process in new york city wherever you live i'm sure you have great schools private or public it's not a problem but your kids are at a point now where they are, 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 if they're not already, they should be encouraged to take their schooling seriously, not just as school, but as a responsibility in their life. And you're already taking your kids on a ski trip. You don't want to start training them to believe that the rules don't matter for them or that the, or that the consequences of skipping their responsibilities don't matter to them because that makes bad people and you don't want you your kids are great you don't want them to be bad people you don't want them to think yeah all those other kids have to go to school but my family goes skiing and i get an extra long vacation that's that to me is the epitome of what would bother me about the kids who came back with lift tickets on their jackets they would usually go during school vacations but what what got to me was there i would see i would see i would see them and i'd be like there are no consequences in life for these kids (laughs) They're all fine. They're all fine human beings now, I'm sure. But I mean, if you are already indulging happily in a passion 
that is by its nature um, a fairly exclusive uh, sport. You don't want to add on to the the additional psychic burden of saying to your kids, yeah, the rules don't matter. We just do what we want in this family. Because that's terrible. No offense, John. But, well, maybe, maybe you're offended anyway. That's fine. Uh, so what I would say is continue your passion for skiing. If it's so meaningful to you, you are now going to have to pay money. You're going to, you're going to have to feel uh, the sacrifice of your love of this sport and the fact that you had children and you have to raise your children properly. And that means they have to go to school and you have to go from now on during school vacations and pay the price in life. There are prices to be paid and uh, you all need to learn that together through skiing. We'll have more judge John Hodgman when we come back in just a second. Hello, I'm your judge John Hodgman. The judge John Hodgman podcast is brought to you every week by you, our members, of course. Thank you so much for your support of this podcast and all of your favorite podcasts at MaximumFun.org, and they are all your favorites. If you want to join the many member supporters of this podcast and this network, boy, oh boy, that would be fantastic. Just go to MaximumFun.org slash join. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Babbel. Okay, it's 2024, 2024. Oh, if hindsight were 2020, I I don't know what I would have done differently. All I know is that I'm taking every day in this year and trying to get better a little bit every day. That's what you do. That's the way progress is made, step by step, day by day, bird by bird. And that's the way it is when you're learning anything, especially a new language with Babbel. And if Babbel can help you start speaking language in just three weeks, Imagine what you could do in the rest of this whole year. Don't pay hundreds of dollars to private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts, real human beings, to help you start speaking a new language in as little as one, two, three weeks. Studies from Michigan State University, Yale University, and others continue to prove that Babbel is better. And that's not just the Yale football team putting their thumb on the scale because they love learning Indonesian from Babbel. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Take that, Yale, I guess. Here's a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, get 55% off your Babbel subscription, but this is only for our listeners at babbel.com slash Hodgman. The Judge John Hodgman podcast is also brought to you this week by Aura. A-U-R-A. It's a simple but meaningful gift that you can give your mom or your dad or your step-grandparent or your uncle or your friend or anyone that you want to keep connected in your life who might not live near you. It's a digital picture frame from Aura. It's perfect for sharing pics of all the things that those friends can't be there for, from family vacations to grandkids' graduation to whatever. I have one of these, and I got one for my dad, and I got one for my mother-in-law, and it's amazing. We look at the photos all day long, and we're able to easily update their Aura frames so they see all the latest pictures from our lives as well. It comes with unlimited storage, simple controls on the frame. You can upload as many photos as you want, and your mom or your dad or your stepdad or your stepmom or your friend or whatever can pick the perfect one. And it takes only about two minutes to set up. Seriously, 
See why it was named the number one digital frame by Wirecutter, uh, The Strategist, and Wired Magazine. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code Hodgman. That's A-U-R-A frames.com, promo code Hodgman. Terms and conditions apply. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Welcome back to the Judge John Hodgman podcast. We're clearing the docket. Here's something from Melissa. I wish to submit for the court's deliberation a dispute I have with my best friend Casey. The disagreement concerns the proper course of action when one is attacked by a shark. Casey alleges that the best self-defense is to punch it in the nose. Based on my own extensive research and common sense, I say the correct response is to poke it in the eyes. Casey recently moved to California, one of the world's major hotspots for great white shark attacks. Furthermore, he's expressed the intent to buy a boat. Should he follow through, I have no doubt he'll be torn to shreds within the year. I turn to his honor. I'm seeking something along the lines of an injunction which orders Casey to poke sharks in the eyes in the instance of an attack, or perhaps a ruling of mental incompetence and appointment of a marine biologist to serve as his legal guardian. Please help me protect my friend from his two worst enemies, sharks and himself. <laughs> well, shark shark attacks, of course, get a lot of attention on the in the very rare instances that they occur. The the likelihood is that your friend uh, would sooner be attacked by a shark on the highway than attacked by a shark in an airplane, and even those two things are more likely than being attacked by a shark in the ocean statistically speaking That's it's more likely science. it's more likely in according to my calculations that he'll be attacked by one of those singing and dancing sharks from the Katy Perry Super Bowl halftime show than that he will be yeah. attacked by a great white shark while uh, yeah. in his in his ship uh yeah. a sea yeah cuz those those dancers who are who are made to wear shark outfits they're angry yeah they're resentful they have not of forgotten. it they have not forgotten. And, and they have, for some reason, not been allowed to take off their costumes. So they're sweaty, they're, they're dehydrated. Now. When they get dehydrated, they get disoriented. When they get disoriented, yeah. they get belligerent. 
And what do you do in the rare instance in which a shark attacks you or a dancer in a shark costume who has not been allowed to eat or drink for several months? You punch him in the nose. Look, yeah. this is what you do. You punch a shark in the nose. How do I know this? Well, I mentioned Chuck Bryant before. He and Josh Clark host the great uh, podcast, Stuff You Should Know. And I know that they went over this. And they said, the old, the old legend is true. You punch a shark in the nose, the shark goes away. And uh, I actually texted Chuck to verify my memory of this. And I said, uh, does that really work, punching a shark in the nose? And his text said, yep. And then his next text said, disturbs electroreceptors in nose. Chuck is a man of short texts. <laughs> and then just to be fair, I said, thank you. Better than stabbing it in the eyes? And Chuck wrote back saying, I imagine that would work well, too. <laughs> so you're not wrong, Melissa. O obviously, poking a shark in its dead doll's eyes is going to be uncomfortable for the shark. But you're, but you're forgetting two things. And it might drive the shark away. Maybe, maybe as effectively as punching in the nose. Maybe even more effectively. But you're forgetting two things. One is the position of the eyes on the shark. The eyes of the shark are uh, not on its head, <laughs> but deep inside its stomach. That's shark biology. That's not true. It's, it's on the side of its head. And uh, if a shark is coming for you, Guess, guess how it's coming for you. Nose first, because its mouth is under it. It's not sidling up to you <laughs> to, give, to give you the fish eye. If you're going to poke that shark's eyes, you're somehow going to have to get around to the side of the shark or the other side of the shark. And I don't think the shark is going to give you that opportunity, to be perfectly honest. And second, the other thing you're overlooking is Punching a shark in the nose is great. That's funny. That's funnier than poking them in the eyes. You're punching a shark in the nose. How many times do I have to say that sentence before you, before you accept the, the wonderful, humiliating beauty of this, of this eating meat tube and this monster of destruction from the depths coming at you and you go, boop, in the nose, Wah, goes the shark because they're crybabies. That's that's a wonderful comedic upending of power with the simple boop. Compared to that, poking in the eye, forget it. I mean, it's like it's. I'm talking about Buster Keaton style comedy here. You're talking about the Three Stooges. You know nothing about sharks. Get out of my courtroom. I'm completely hung up on the idea of sharks sidling up to you. I feel like if <laughs> I feel like Judge Hodgman, if those listeners who are listening right now and like me are from the undersea inner city, they know how to shark, spot a shark who's on the roll up. Right. If you see a shark on the roll up, you know you're about to get jacked. And the That's way right. they do it is they sidle up next to you. They sidle up. <laughs> they sidle up. It's the only way they can see you because they're. Their dead doll's eyes are on the sides of their long, smooth meatheads. Here's something from Jeff. A respectful correction on the credit given to the Broadway musical Grease as the instigator of the 1970s revival of 1950s culture. You mentioned... Okay, now I'm, I, I'm just going to jump in just to say uh, I'm, I'm really glad you wrote, Jeff, because I really got this all wrong. I got it all, I got it all chronologically wrong. 
So I'm going to let Jeff take this one and school me, uh, the judge. You mentioned Shanana being a result of the revival, when in fact it's the other way around. You may recall that Shanana played at Woodstock and had been doing that whole shtick since the 1960s. It has been said that Greece was inspired by Shanana. It could even be argued that Shanana are the prototypal or prototypical hipsters, those relishing in the youth culture of the relatively recent past. I cannot think of an earlier example of this phenomenon, so I feel it's important to give the credit where it is due. And Jeff, you're absolutely right. And, I, and I, I, I'm sorry that I gave the impression that Greece led to Shanana. But I will point out that there were two phases of Shanana. There was Shanana at Woodstock, and then there was Shanana with its syndicated television program. And although they are the same band, and I believe technically... There's still a Shanana with two of the original members out there making music. Look them up. Although John Bowser Bauman is no longer affiliated with the group. And the guy who played Santini, the remember the middle-aged bald greaser who was a member of the group? Uh, he's a, he's a, a, a medical doctor in Los Angeles now. And I've been thinking about making an appointment just to see him. But Shanana, of course, was this group. They did 50 songs and they dressed up like greasers, even though by the late 70s, at the height of their fame with their syndicated television variety program, they were all probably in, you know, 35 to 40 years old. They're all, for the most part, graduates of Columbia University here in New York City. They had begun as an acapella group called the Kingsmen, and then they started doing some of this, uh, what I want to say, old-timey doo-wop, but it wasn't even that old-timey at that point. They were only you know, 15 years, uh, a decade or 15 years out from the, the heyday of, of that classic rock and roll music. But of course, the culture had been wildly transformed between 1955 and 1965, as you know from watching Mad Men. And by the time they played Woodstock, they were this bizarre curiosity um, who, who basically were reviving a music that the entire that the entire generation there had purposefully shoved aside in favor of you know, electric rock music of the 60s. Shanana by the 70s at the height of their fame, and I say this with deep respect because <laughs> those guys had the chops. They were real performers. They were funny. Uh, that variety show was very meaningful to a eight or nine-year-old, and that's where it stops because <laughs> it, was a, it was a show about 45-year-old greasers for nine-year-old boys. And, and that's a great thing, but it was, it was a little corny by the time they got there. And by the time they got there in 1979, of course, Greece had come out or had just come out almost simultaneously. It certainly had been on Broadway. And this whole 50s revival thing was a larger cultural moment. But, uh, and, and, they, and they were kind of along for the ride with it. And when it went out of fashion, so did they. But Jeff points out something that I forgot about, and, and I regret that I misled you all in this great cultural moment that was Shanana, and specifically Shanana at Woodstock. When we say that Shanana played Woodstock, it's often like, can you believe this weird novelty group played Woodstock? But it is worth going onto your internet uh, to see their performance at Woodstock. Because this was no longer, or I shouldn't say, they were not yet the sort of corny children's novelty group that they that they became in the seven, in the late 70s at Woodstock they were as i say performing music that had been purposefully rejected by their peers and 
in ways that anticipated the Ramones were digging into uh, really basic, hard-rocking rock songs from the 50s and playing them at a very high, a very fast tempo, faster than the original recordings. And they were not saying peace and love. They were saying, let's go to the top manically at the top of their lungs and dancing in, in gold jumpsuits. And frankly, it was it's one of the most punk rock things I've ever seen committed to film because they did not belong there and they knew it and they did not hold back. And that performance of Let's Go to the Hop is true, truly weird and magical. Um, so uh, I, 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 I regret if I misled you in my brief cultural history of the 50s revival in the 1970s. Uh, Shanana is obviously an important part of it. And I would be remiss if I did not mention as well our, our good friend, Jesse, Andy Daly, uh, mm-hmm. on, an, on another podcast network, as they used to say in the 1970s on talk shows, on another network, uh, Andy recorded a series of incredible podcasts called the Andy Daly Podcast Pilot Project, in which he ostensibly was reviewing uh, pilot podcasts that had been sent in by anonymous strangers uh, trying to get onto this network when, in fact, they were all him playing many of his different characters. And there is one episode... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh, you know the one I'm talking about. Yes. In which the character is is uh, Wolfman Hot Dog, who, who is a surfer and 50s music enthusiast who also works at the Hertz, uh, the Hertz uh, uh, station in Santa Monica. And it is his lifelong dream here in, in 2015 or 2014 when it was recorded. His lifelong dream, or now 2016 when you're listening to it. Oh, time passes. It is here in the present day his dream to to join Shanana, the greatest interpreters of traditional American rock music, which he believes are still at the height of their fame, but they're not, obviously. And it is not for children, this podcast, because Andy is an adult entertainer and there are some adult uh, themes and references. But if you are a grown-up man or woman uh, uh, of the age nine or up, no, I mean, you know, 18 and up, and can handle some adult themes and references. Wolfman Hot Dog, Andy Daly as Wolfman Hot Dog, uh, writes uh, 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 an assessment of what it would be like for him if he were to ever join Shanana and move into the Shanana house, which is the embodiment of his dream. There is no Shanana house, but he believes there is. He believes that they all live in a house together. He, he believes they all live in a house together and they're just having the greatest time. And it is one of the most hilarious and 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 painfully poignant self-deluded uh bits of comedy monologue that I've ever heard. I mean Andy isn't self-deluded but the character of Wolfman <laughs> Hot Dog is so self-deluded. It is it is you know Andy has created many many genius things including his TV show on Comedy Central Review but this to me is the explains why Andy Daly is so great. And so Isn't there a water well, skiing element to it? Isn't he a champion yeah, water skier? That's what it was. He's not well. a surfer. He's a champion water skier. I can't believe I... I can't believe I... Uh, and he wants to incorporate water skiing into Shanana's act. Yeah, right. Exactly. I can't believe that I made that mistake because, of course, in the world of Wolfman Hot Dog, water skiers and surfers hate one another and are constantly getting into rumbles. But it's nothing compared. It's not... And, and then there's a separate side rivalry between the ocean water skiers and the lake water skiers, and they hate each other. 
<laughs> oh. oh, it's a beautiful piece of recorded comedy that I that you know. It's it's the it's the brand new year. Uh, listen to some new things, even if they're old and were recorded a couple of years ago. Okay, um, but there you go. We have one last thing here. Uh, something from a high school teacher named Eric. Um, Eric teaches at a high school where the uh, students are court ordered to attend. And he was teaching teaching a course on uh, expository or persuasive writing. And he, wait a minute, they're court they're court ordered to attend high school. Yeah, exactly. I think it was probably uh, for uh, 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 students who have had uh, legal troubles. Um, mm-hmm. Why don't they just skip school and go skiing? Yeah, like the best people. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think a lot of people at that high school show up in a in a ski parka with the uh, lift tickets. With the lift tickets off. still on there. Yeah. So, in any case, he wor- he works with kids who who have had some troubles. Yes, like exactly. And he used in his persuasive writing class the prompt: "Is a hot dog a sandwich?" Um, and one of his students named Carl wrote an essay on the topic, uh, and it's a- an essay in the form of a letter to a friend. And I'm and Jesse. Read- before before you read the letter, when Eric wrote to me, it, it was a very touching letter because he said that uh, Carl is is one of the quieter kids in his class and and has had very uh, difficult time engaging in schoolwork and 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 tuning in to what is being asked of him. But when the question of whether a hot dog was a sandwich was posed by Eric to the class, Carl really got excited about it and uh, insisted upon writing this letter. And, uh, and, and I insisted with, uh, with Carl's permission uh, that we allow it to be shared with the Judge John Hodgman listening audience uh, because uh, we all know what is a sandwich, right? So Jesse, with that, uh, take it away. As an American, I'm a born expert on hot dogs. I've been eating them all my life, for real. And because of this, I know that a hot dog is not a sandwich. It is a hot dog. Hot dogs are in their own category of food. Go on, Carl. A sandwich is two pieces of bread. In between those pieces of bread might be some mayonnaise, some tomatoes, some lettuce, and some bologna. It's like someone trying to say that you're making a bologna sandwich without lettuce and mayo. It would still be a sandwich because that's what it's been called for years and years. We can't change history. Even the Hot Dog and Sausage Council states that a hot dog is not a sandwich. These are experts in the area of hot dogs. And if there's a higher hot dog authority, I don't know what it is. Hot dog buns specifically state that they are for hot dogs only. Bread now, can be I, used let me inter- for... Go ahead. Let me interrupt you right there. I've heard a lot of arguments about why a hot dog is or is not a sandwich. But as far as I'm concerned, Carl is breaking completely new ground here in this research area. I had not, had not considered this particular argument about hot dog buns saying that they're for hot dogs. So thank you, Carl. Read on, Jesse. Bread can be used for any sandwich. For hot dog buns, however, the package does not say sandwich buns. It says hot dog buns. So even the bread industry itself recognizes that hot dogs are their own thing. If I'm, Bring it home, Carl. If I'm at a cookout and someone offers me a hot dog sandwich, I'm going to look at them like they're stupid. That would ruin my entire cookout experience. I would go home hungry and angry, and I would never go to another one of their ridiculous cookouts. Yours in hot dogs, Carl. I think that that's fantastic. I, I do think, Carl, that 
you might want to work on not getting too upset at cookouts. <laughs> I, w- <laughs> I mean, I agree with you. If someone offers you a hot dog sandwich, that sounds weird and dumb, but I, I wouldn't want it to ruin your entire experience. Sometimes in life, Carl, people say things because they're ignorant. And uh, you should still be able to enjoy a cookout. Yeah, I mean, so enjoying a cookout is one of our fundamental rights as an American. Don't let That's them take right. that away from you just by saying something ridiculous. Don't go home hungry and angry on principle alone. Certainly not this principle in any case. But Carl and Eric, I just want to say thank you very much for sharing that. It was really meaningful to me that it's uh, that it sparked some discussion in the classroom. There's a reason that people talk about this. It is maybe one of the most timeless questions. Uh, It's so it's so perplexing that we still are talking about it, even though it's a dumb question. Still, it captures the imagination, and it makes me very happy, Carl, that that you uh, that you wrote that and were willing to share it with us. So I say thank you. Here's what here's what Eric said uh, in closing his letter. He wrote, "I wanted to thank you for putting this topic into the ether of my classroom. You never know what's going to spark interest in young people." Turns out he feels passionately about sandwiches and hot dogs. So thank you so much for sharing that with us, Carl, uh, and thank you, Eric. For, for sending it to us. I did put it into the ether of his classroom, but I didn't think he would notice because I was told the ether was uh, odorless. Yeah. <laughs> I've, been, I've been piping. I, I, I should let you know, as a social experiment, I have uh, piped in various toxic and anesthetic gases into a number of high school classrooms around the country and just to see what happens. Right. See if I can affect, affect the young minds. Right. It's and, called the uh, Curious and, George Project. That's exactly so. Oh, that chimpanzee ate a puzzle piece. <laughs> and he had to go to the hospital. What a portrait of a different engagement with healthcare. He went, he swallowed a puzzle piece. He was put under, first of all, a beautiful lady nurse took him to go see the mans who were going to operate on him. And then he had to have an operation and they put him under general anesthesia and he had to live in the hospital for a week afterward. That would totally be an outpatient procedure by now, right? That would be, you'd get that done, you'd get that done in an urban MD walk-in clinic. They would remove that puzzle piece laparoscopically. They'd probably just punch you in the stomach until you vomited it up. And then then you'd have a a $500 copay. Thanks, Obama. And they say the Republicans don't have a health care (laughs) plan. Judge John Hodgman is produced by Julia Smith and edited by Mark McConville. If you've got a case for Judge John Hodgman, go to MaximumFun.org slash JJHO. That's MaximumFun.org slash JJHO and share it with us there. No case too big or small. We review them all. You can follow us on social media. We are on Twitter. John is at Hodgman. I am at Jesse Thorne. We have a lively MaximumFun.org Facebook group and Reddit page. Uh, You can search for those on Facebook and Reddit. Uh, MaximumFun.reddit.com is where the Reddit discussions go down. It is basically the only uh, polite place on the entire Internet. Well, We'll talk to you next time on the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Happy New Year! MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.